coming up on this week's podcast. God is radically, God is free to do anything he wants. God makes the rules, God sets the commandments, God sets the parameters, and he's free to do anything he wants. He told Hosea to marry a prostitute, which would ordinarily be something we would think would be bad advice, and certainly not something we would hear God tell us to do. But those were the things that Hosea had to do. We sometimes are, told, are, are asked to do things that just don't look right to us, and we go to the Lord, testing every spirit to see us that it is of God, as it says in 1 John 4, 1. Stay tuned for more. And welcome to another New Hope Chapel podcast. Located in Arnold, Maryland, New Hope Chapel is a vibrant church committed to biblically-based teaching, often focusing on discovering the Jewish roots of faith. You can find out more about our church at newhopechapel.org. Now, here's a guest speaker with today's message. For the last few weeks, we've been going through a book of the Bible that um, I don't know that a lot of us are very familiar with, and almost every sermon that's been given so far in this series, somebody has said something to the effect that, This is a tough one. There's something about this particular judge. There's something about this entire period of Jewish history that just seems especially tough. They always seem to be messing up. They never seem to be honest um, uh, with their faith to God. They always seem to be straying, and they always seem to be reined back. And the Lord always raises up people who are imperfect in their desire to lead the nation, and they fail, and they, uh, they leave the nation in the same state that they're in before. Now, most of what I knew about Samson before working on this sermon, frankly, came from Sunday school. Remember Sunday school? We had to to color. I was always terrible at coloring. Um, Our church never had, only had like three colors of crayons anyway. And we... uh, we had to do, now you know which stories from Samson we're going to have, right? You can, you can picture these pictures in the coloring book. You know what they look like. There's one where he's, whole, he's, he's tearing down the building. We know he's very strong. Samson was very strong. We knew this. So he tears buildings down. Uh, there's one um, that we learned one time. Our Sunday school teacher didn't emphasize this very much, but it's the one where he killed a thousand people with the jawbone of a donkey. Uh, in our Sunday school class, she always said donkey. And... Um, <laughs> We were, a, we were a Methodist church. We, <laughs> and then the other one was the one where they cut his hair off, where we remembered Delilah. He got his strength from his long hair, and when his hair was cut off, he didn't have any strength at all. And so those are the only stories we knew. And the, I always, I, I'm, in looking back now, there were no stories behind it, really. We just knew these episodes. Um, because we, I guess our Sunday school teacher did not want to dwell on the fact that when he tore down the building, he took like 3,000 people with him. And he didn't, she didn't want to uh, emphasize, Miss Hardy didn't want to emphasize that when he beat the people to death with the jawbone of a donkey, that there were a thousand bodies piled around. And she didn't really even want to emphasize the fact that, that uh, uh, Samson was very gullible and let himself be tricked into getting his hair cut off so that he ended up being uh, made into a slave and put to work in the mill and blinded. The only other exposure I've really had to Samson is, is those times when you read the Bible from cover to cover. At some point, you get the judges, and you read through judges, and you press on to Ruth, and on you go, and Samson just sort of comes and goes. And you know how it is when you read the Bible. There are all these times that you read things, and you don't, they don't, a lot of things don't stick. Um, later on, maybe you'll read an episode, you'll read a particular scripture, 
and it'll come to you, and the Lord does this to us all the time, and he opens our eyes, and we see it like we're seeing it for the first time, and it actually changes our lives. But Samson wasn't one of those episodes, and so for the purposes of this, let's go back and really read Samson. And I'm reading through Samson, and I'm thinking, what do I say about this guy? Have you read this lately? Have you read the four, there are four chapters? It's like the longest uh, series of uh, you know, chapters in the book of Judges about this. Have you read this and seen the kind of man he was, seen what kind of a creep he was? Um, he was given to his parents as a child who was going to be devoted to God. It, the, uh, the term in, the, in this, uh, the Hebrew Bible is uh, Nazarite. You've heard this term before. A Nazarite is a person who was set aside specifically for God, and with all of those laws that they have to keep, the Nazarites actually have three more. One of them is that they can't drink any alcohol, they can't drink any wine. One of them is that they're not allowed to get anywhere near um, a dead body. And the other one is they can't cut their hair. Three additional laws in addition to the 600-odd laws, I guess, that the, uh, that the Hebrews have to obey. And their term would last for a while, and their term could come to an end. In fact, they could also, there was a, a, a procedure for them to be reinstated. It was complicated and lengthy, but if their term ended and they wanted to come back into the Nazarite hood, they could do that. This makes us feel like the whole idea of being a Nazarite is something that is tr- a tremendous honor that is bestowed upon people of great quality, people who really um, have a certain sense about them, a certain uh, temperament, a certain attitude, a certain set of skills and gifts that makes them stand out so that the Lord says, you're the one, you're the one I want to be the Nazarite. You go forward, you stand for me, everybody will know it because you'll have hair down to your ankles and you won't drink at the parties and you don't, go, you don't even go to your parents' funeral. You can't go anywhere near a dead body. Everybody will know. And you read through the story of Samson, and there's hardly redeeming quality in there. He's even more human than we are. We have some redeeming qualities, right? Let's give ourselves some credit. I don't see any hardly for Samson. Samson just messes up over and over again. He is, he is greedy. He is self-centered in the extreme. He breaks practically every promise that he ever made. He's very vengeful. Um, He's very gullible. It doesn't sound especially bright. In fact, there was a, one of the characters that popped into my head, I don't know if anybody remembers, Denise knows. I've, my parents sat me down in front of the TV, I think I've said this before, when I was three, and I've been watching it until this morning. So I know every, all the TV shows in between now and then. There was a character on TV years ago, a, a cartoon character called Baby Huey. Does anybody remember Baby Huey? <laughs> Big, huge sort of kid, the way, you know, he, he was always knocking things over, messing up the game. Uh, he was so strong, that he, that he, but he didn't have the intelligence to handle it. And Samson's like that. He's like a man-child. He's like this big guy, all these muscles, all this, and, and not a brain in his head. Uh, he thinks completely with his hormones. When, whatever he sees, he wants. He goes for it. He, he has no thought to tomorrow. This is a Nazarite. This is a man of God, and he's barreling through life like a steamroller. And, um, this is the man that God chose, which gives us some, a good feeling like, well, if Samson can serve God, there must be a place for me. Um, I ought to be able to do something. I ought to be better than Samson in some fashion. But he goes through life from one episode to another. He, you know, bring me this woman. Um, I'll take this woman. He, you know, he, he's, he cheats. He doesn't take uh, his promises seriously. 
and he's very self-centered now. Okay, what's this say to us here in 2011? Um, I keep going back to the... There's always something in every scripture at every particular moment that seems especially right for now, for where we are now. And I'm reading through this, and I'm going over and over again, Lord, what is it? Lord, what is it? Lord, what is it? i got to tell you... um, I was probably more nervous about this sermon than any sermon I gave since my first one. The first sermon that I ever gave in the church was the one about the, remember the, the, the Canaanite woman came up and the um, Lord said, we, she wanted some food. Said, I, I can't give anything to you. We don't give anything to the dogs before we give it to the children. Remember, that's, that was my first sermon. And that was tough. Call this woman a dog. You know, the Prince of Peace comes in. He sends, sends you know, the woman away as a dog. I'm not going to give you anything until we take care of our own family first. And of course, you know, she, she spoke up and said, "Well, you know, we even the dogs get what falls off the table," which sort of saved me. That's me, isn't it? No. Technology. I have a TV that sounds like that. Is that what it is? Thank you. How many Christians does it take to turn on a switch? Um, I'm stalling. I've got to get back to Samson. The whole idea about being, um, of doing this sermon of how do, we, how do we relate to a guy who literally is presented as a person who has hardly any redeeming features. He doesn't call out to God. He doesn't give thanks to God. Even when he acts on God's behalf, he does it for selfish motives. His motives are always wrong. His motives are always turned toward himself. What's in it for me? What do I want? The Lord continues to use him, but his motives are very, very impure. And he continues to just barrel through life this way. And the whole idea about self kept coming back to me with talking to the Lord. Because this is the war that you and I are in, is self. The question comes to me is, what kind of a Christian does a self-centered person make? And the question came immediately after that is, what kind of a Christian do we make? Um... We like to think of ourselves, I like to think of myself, as a person who has surrendered to the Lord, given himself totally over to the Lord, that I have satisfied my thirst for Jesus by coming to him and drinking of the living water, given myself over, and now I belong to Jesus now. I'm not my own. The old creature has died. I I know all the lessons. So do you. I also know that I sin every day. Um, I know every day, if I were to literally go to the Lord and give him what he deserved about the sins that I've committed, I would literally be praying for the rest of my life I would never do anything else. It would take that long to cover, assuming that I could, all the sins that have happened up until now. And I do it every day, and I'm a man of God. I've given myself to the Lord. I I am known by his name, called by his name. I tell the people that I'm a Christian. I try to live by his word. I try to obey And I still sin every day. And we think to ourselves, well, shouldn't that be something that should be defeated by now? Shouldn't we be able to conquer that? By the power of Jesus, why is that still dogging us? And I take some comfort from the fact that Paul had the same problem. Romans 7. It's good, I'm reading Romans. I haven't even read anything from Judges yet. (laughs) I guess we'll get to it. 
Romans 7. This is the one where Paul is speaking about himself and he's talking with, with agony. And we've gone through this, right? If we're Christians, we've gone through this. Why do I keep making the same mistake over and over again? Why are there certain sins that I commit every day of my life? Why are there certain thoughts I cannot get out of my head? Why are there these um, uh, faults in me that for all of my praying and all of my devoutness and all of my prayer, everything else, it just seems to hang with me forever? And then the other thing is, why do I keep doing these things? Paul had this, you know, I keep doing the stuff I know I shouldn't. I keep failing to do the stuff that I know I should, uh, which we, I guess in baseball we call errors of commission and errors of omission. Um, I keep doing it. This, it's driving me crazy. It's killing me. Romans 7, starting with 21. So I find this law at work. When I want to do good, evil is right there with me. Evil is right there with me. Evil is an entity from outside of us, right? This is the way it's portrayed here. Working in me, with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within my members. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body of death? But thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself in my mind am a slave to God's law, but in the sinful nature a slave to the law of sin. Maybe this was part of Samson's problem. Samson doesn't seem especially introspective, But he's basically called by God as a human being, and he has all these faults that he's dealing with all of the time, grappling with them in his his own particular way. All of us have, because we're created in the image of God, all of us have some sense in ourselves, some yearning within ourselves to do the right thing. We just want to do the right thing. We do the wrong thing so often, and we, we beat ourselves up about it, but we just want to do the right thing. What is it, Lord? Tell me what to do. Give me some instruction. Let me hear from you. And we look at Samson, and it's like, say, he just barrels on, even though the Lord is continuing to use him. But we don't have to do that. We don't have to make that mistake. We have the opportunity here to be completely set apart from God to do the things that he wants us to do. I look at, um, at Samson and just how self-centered he is, and I look at the way he behaves and how much, um, how much I grapple with just looking at Samson and trying to understand how, he, how to, to deal with him in the, in the Bible. And it occurred to me, I think the world today, the people in the world today, worldly people in the world today would understand Samson better than I do. Um, they understand the whole thing about um, selfishness, you know, that, that you put yourself first, that you look out for number one. Uh, don't get mad, get even. You know the things the world tells us. We, have the, we hear these lessons all the time. And we, the thing that we deal with as, as human beings is we're raised with that. This is the culture that we grew up in. We know these rules. We know what the world rewards. We know what the world punishes. We know when it gives us the world's favor and when it withholds it. We know what the world expects of us. And the Lord is telling us, don't pay any attention to any of that because you're in the world and not of it. Don't be friends with the world. Don't incorporate these things into your thinking. But the Lord, the, the, the Lord working through Samson, even with Samson behaving as he is, the world would look at it and go, I understand this guy. I understand about vengeance. The only thing that I, that, if anything, I admire Samson because he gets even with people and I can't. 
I can't get even with the people, you know, road rage. The Samson has a couple of episodes here that basically boil down to BC road rage, where he just saw something and it just made him so crazy he had to do something. We can't do that. We restrain ourselves for whatever reason. Samson seems to be able to give vent to his feelings that we have to rein in. And we're right to rein them in. Uh, the world will look at this and understand perfectly. I want what I want. Give me what I want. I, this is what I want. Just bring it over here. He talks to his parents who are supposed to be raising him as a Nazarite. And the, one of the first things we see Samson saying to his parents is, Woman, see that woman. Bring her to me. Get her for me. Fetch her for me. This is, this is of somebody who's not even of the nation of Israel. One of the main things that got Israel in the, into problems in the first place is that they were not supposed to intermarry. And, the, and here's uh, Samson. He wants a woman from the Philistines. Bring a Philistine over here. They make good wives. Actually, I don't think that's true. <laughs> I, I don't know how to put the necessary sort of irony into my voice on that one. Philistines make lousy wives. <laughs> they make lousy neighbors. They make lousy landlords. And they certainly make uh, lousy um, uh, bosses. And um, what he had to do here was simply do what the Lord said. One of the things we read in the scripture is God actually set that up. Seems like an odd thing to us. God actually was behind Samson's mer- uh, marrying a, uh, a Philistine. Seems like he's violating his own rules. One of the things we learn in, in seminary, see if you don't remember this, it's called the radical freedom of God. Remember that term? God is, radically, God is free to do anything he wants. God makes the rules, God sets the commandments, God sets the parameters, and he's free to do anything he wants. He told Hosea to marry a prostitute, which would ordinarily be something we would think would be bad advice, and certainly not something we would hear God tell us to do. But those were the things that Hosea had to do. We sometimes are are asked to do things that just don't look right to us, and we go to the Lord, testing every spirit to see if it is of God, as it says in 1 John 4, 1, and, and we just keep going back and back. Lord, can this be right? Is this what you really want from me? Is this what your directions really are? Because one of the problems that we have as a self-centered Christian, in, as a human being, is we have an image of what our walk with Jesus should look like. We have an image of what Jesus should be, how, we want, how he should behave, what he should do, and since his ways are not our ways, since his ways are higher above our ways than the, than the uh, heavens are above the earth, We can't anticipate what the Lord is going to do. We can't picture what he's going to do. We get ourselves into a lot of trouble when we uh, picture what our future is going to be as a Christian because the Lord is free to do anything. And it extends even to that one scripture which sometimes gives me me comfort and sometimes gives me a headache. I will have mercy upon whom I have mercy. The Lord is free to to do what he wants for his purpose, carrying out his plan in the kingdom of God, taking us to a particular conclusion that we know something about in the book of Revelation, but not all of the details, not how it's going to affect each one of us. We can't picture these things that are going to happen. We can't picture what it is we're supposed to do. We do know one thing. If we give ourselves to the Lord, even though we know better in our minds, somewhere inside of us, we think our life is still yet supposed to be easier. Because we give ourselves to the Lord, who is our protector, who is our provider, Um, who is our rock and our strength, who is our Lord, 
who knows what to do and whom we can go to in prayer to get instructions about all of the details of life. I'm convinced of this. There's a lot of people teach that that's not true. It is true. The Lord is interested in everything we do. Everything. And I'll tell you why. Because everything we do has the potential and offers us the opportunity to do it sinfully. Everything we do, no matter how small, no matter how insignificant, there's an opportunity to do it for selfish, self-centered, ungodly motives. Everything. Everything? That's the way it is in the Bible. We read this all the time. We see words like all and always and never. Um, It really means that. Always. When we're always supposed to do something in everything, it really does truly mean everything. There have been times when I had, you would think this would be an innocent thing, when I had to scratch my head, which you would think would be something you would do subconsciously. But if you're doing it while you're carrying a tray of drinks, it makes you think something. This is, no, not now. (laughs) You know, no matter what it is, there is the opportunity to do it sinfully. This is why we need the Lord as much as we do. This is why we are to turn to the Lord as much as we're supposed to. Because we stray by nature over and over and over again every minute. It's just the battle, the war that we are in. Now, as far as I could tell with Samson, he just, he just caves right in. And uh, he'll just do whatever it is that he feels like doing. And this brings to mind the next thing. We as, as Christians, we're really eager to please God, are we not? This is very important to us. We know he loves us. We know he's forgiven us. We know he cares for us. We know in his way he is watching for us and providing for us, even if it's not in the way that we would have designed for ourselves. Um, and yet, in the middle of all this, he is still using us. We give ourselves to him, yield ourselves up to him. We know that we're loved. We know that we matter. We want to please him so much because we love him so much. And we displease him all the time. And yet the Lord never abandons us. Never, ever. He never throws us away. He never says, I've had it with you. Slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. The kind of thing that gives us comfort is, as we are the kinds of of, uh, people who know that we mess up all the time, that we have made a million mistakes, that we have all these regrets that we trail around behind us like a a long freight train, that in the end, what we are is still beloved of God, under his watchful eye, working with him to do what he wants. One of the things in in pleasing him is, have you ever concerned yourself, have you ever been afraid um, that something that you might do would actually sort of mess up God's plan. Has, has, you know, it's, it's sort of a conceit. But haven't you felt that way at some point, that something you've done, somebody you failed to talk to, something you left undone, something you felt called to do and you said, no, that I will not do, that I'm not going to. Um, we feel like we mess up God's plan. Take comfort. God's plans can be opposed God's plan cannot be thwarted. God's plan is going to proceed with or without us. God does have a plan B if we don't do a very good job. Um, God's plan is not going to be stymied. It's not going to be short-circuited. It's not going to be delayed even by what we do. 
Now, there's value, obviously, in obeying. There's value, obviously, in doing what it is the Lord wants to do, to have in your heart this thirst for pleasing him. But the Lord knows how to deal with rebels. Believe me, the Lord knows how to deal with rebels. Have, we, has, have, have you ever been dealt with? Have you ever been in a circumstance in your life where you know, I brought this on myself, just like we see here. I will give, and uh, bless your heart for mentioning this last week, where the Lord gives us over to our sins sometimes. This happens. There's a biblical precedent for the precedence for this. Where the Lord just deals with us and he knows how to deal with it. If we go to him and we repent, we call upon him, we seek his way, we seek his word, press into him, press, press, push some more, pray some more, press some more, mean it intentionally uh, with, with dedication and determination, that thirst that you have, go into the Lord and press, Lord, show me what it is you want me to do. Make me a part of your plan. Use me to do what it is you want done. I trust you. And forgive me for my failures. We know we're forgiven. Do we, do we feel forgiven all the time? No, because we don't forgive ourselves very often. My father taught me to remember every slight, no matter how minor. I can remember the kids who insulted me in first grade. I can remember the kids who insulted me in second grade. I can remember the people who insulted me in the summertime between first and second grade. Uh, every perceived slaw, every body that ever cut me off, everybody that ever insulted me, everybody that ever, that ever, when I type something in the internet and they type some snide response to it, I remember them all. <laughs> this is not healthy. This is not good. And it's a constant source with me. Lord, stop. Please change this about me. Please change. I know he's going to do it. I know he's going to do it. I wish he'd have done it already. My timing is... This should be done already. I've been putting up with this long enough. I have been vengeful, but have to stifle it. I have been eager to see people get their comeuppance, but I can't do anything about it. And not only that, but they actually seem, most of these people who have insulted me, they seem to be doing reasonably well. I can watch these people. They're doing great. How come? Don't they deserve to be brought low? Don't they deserve to be punished? Don't they? God has his plans for them. What's that to you, the Lord says, you know? That's between him and me. That's between her and me. There's a German word that um, you see in the newspapers every once in a while in uh, magazines. It's called schadenfreude. Has anybody ever heard that word before? Do you know what it means? Um, means Exactly. Taking pleasure at somebody else's pain. Why do we have a word for that? So we're using schadenfreude. But that's a word, because it's not, like, it's not like it's foreign to the American condition. It's not like the Americans never, ever take pride or pleasure in the fact that somebody else is suffering. Good! They deserved it. Um, I remember a, a friend of mine, um, this particular friend was a real philanderer. And he, um, he had an accident when he was whitewater rafting, and he was in the hospital. He had real trouble with the pins and all the, the thing in his leg. And I actually ran into a, a, another friend, and I told her about it, and she said, good. That's exactly, he should have broken both legs. <laughs> now, the person who said this is not like she was without sin. But in her mind, the sin that uh, this guy was committing was worse. And he wanted to, she wanted to see him get his comeuppance. This is not what we're up to. We are to be cleansed and, and, um, and purified to do the Lord's work. 
we look at a person like Samson doing these things and um, where we see practically every bad human trait that there is, and we think, okay, what does it mean for us now? It means for us now that we don't have to put up with, we don't have to put up with these things in our lives. We don't have to uh, submit to them. We don't have to treat them as something that, are, that can't be dealt with. We serve a Lord who is in control of all these things and will work with them with us. He has his plan for us. He does have these plans in our lives to do with us what he wants. Um, we, as imperfect, self-centered Christians, have to give ourselves unto him to be used for him in a world that thinks, as we, we've mentioned this before, the world that thinks we are crazy. Um, a person who comes to the Lord at, say, in adulthood, starts to think about, I have to tell my family. I've got to go back and tell my family. First of all, because I love the Lord, now I have the gospel, I have to say something to them. These people are perishing. God is, is mourning over these people. God is grieving over them, just like he did over the, Jesus did over the people of Jerusalem. And when you talk to people like that, or if you can remember an episode like that, when it, if it happened to you, what is the one thing you're concerned about, when, about what happens when you address and tell your family that this is what has happened to you, this is the decision that you have made? What is the biggest concern that you have? They'll think you've lost your mind. Our relationship is always going to be damaged. Our relationship is going to be changed. It's just not going to be the same anymore. It's something we, have to, we can live with, though. We live by a different set of rules. Even though the world understands uh, this Samson, we actually look at it more and more and say, I, I guess anymore I don't. I guess I don't understand. I can't sympathize as much, even though I do it myself. I'm not as much in sympathy with the selfish attitude. I'm not as much in sympathy with somebody who does literally wreaks vengeance on everybody that they have, they can, that's within arm's length. Our lives are different. Uh, in this world where we learn to give up ourselves, to empty ourselves, um, we're dealing with, a, uh, and this has been true for a long time, we're dealing with an attitude in the world that's very, very different from the one the Lord calls us to. We stand, if we live our lives according to the rules of Christ, we really do stand out like a sore thumb. But we're supposed to. Um, there's a guy on the 700 Club that comes on every once in a while. He used to play guitar in a punk rock group named Korn. Has anybody ever seen this, this, this fellow? You know who I'm talking about. His name's uh, Brian Welch. Um, Brian Welch became a Christian. He just simply had had, had all he can take. The whole lifestyle that in Corn, and and Corn is a is a band that is not. I mean, th- this is a group that does not sing Mersey Dotes and Dozy Dotes. This is a group. The, the the stuff that they sing. I mean, we I I, I can't listen to it myself. Um. He became a Christian, and he told a member of the band, and the guy said, "Do you know what's going to happen?" What's going to happen is this is going to make it onto YouTube. This is going to make it onto MTV, and everybody is going to laugh at you. And Brian's reaction was, I'm ready to be laughed at. I've had it. Um, Whatever cost I pay, it's okay. In fact, the people who are laughing at me, they should be laughing at me because I should look so different to them that it blows their mind. They don't know what to make of it. Um, But if they see the difference in him... And they did, because actually the bass player of the band became a Christian also. So now, 50% of the members of Korn are Christians. 
That's something they didn't bargain for. And people notice. In our lives uh, as Christians now, we, we have, um, or supposed to die to self. We're supposed to die to self. It's supposed, do you know what that means, to die to self? It means that the longings of the flesh, the carnal needs that we, uh, that we, that we crave for, we're supposed to be dead to them. They don't touch us. They don't inspire us. They don't motivate us. They, but they mean nothing to us. None of us has achieved that. Paul's talking about the same. If Paul hasn't done it, I don't think, you know, I don't think any of us uh, really have any hope to it. But we aspire to it. We continue to press forward. We press on towards the goal. We run the good race. We give ourselves over to the Lord. Let him be about his work. Holy Spirit within us, making us more and more like him. Conforming our will to his own. Samson never learned that. At the very end, when he called on the Lord to help him knock down the temple, the reason he wanted to do it was not to punish the Philistines. I don't want to do this for the nation of Israel. I don't want to do this because it, puts me, it, it, it makes me a hero to my people. I don't want to do this for anything. I want to do this to avenge the fact that they blinded me. They blinded me. Now it's my turn to get even with them. And the Lord used them as imperfect as he, as he was, as we are. Um, anybody who withholds their service to God because they think that they are imperfect, because they think they're not worthy, if every Christian felt that way, there would be no Christian evangelism, there would be no Christian work, there would be no Christian service. We're all imperfect, every one of us. No matter how we might think somebody else looks to us, they say, that person's really got it together, that person knows better. That person is a Christian, knows of all people that they are capable of horrible thoughts, horrible motivations, utter selfishness. And yet the Lord wants us anyway. The Lord came into the world in the incarnation to show us perfection, but also to show us love and forgiveness, to show us, uh, even a person as impetuous as Peter, you can still be used by God for his purpose always. Um, what I'm going to ask us to do, the whole idea of what kind of a Christian does a, um, a self-centered person make? What kind of a Christian do we make? Let's go to the Lord in silent prayer now. Now, while we're thinking about it and while it's fresh on our mind and while nothing else is distracting us. And just pray to the Lord for help in exposing us um, the things that we need to repent of, the things we need to put aside, to repent of our self-centeredness, to call upon him to, to destroy that, to cast it out, to uproot it and root it out of us, to purify us, to create in us a clean heart, to make ourselves more useful to him, to, to make it a part of our ongoing prayer life. Lord, deal with me all of my manifest flaws, all of my obvious uh, character traits. Correct them and put me to use for you. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. We hope it was a blessing to you. New Hope Chapel is a vibrant ministry in Arnold, Maryland. We are a Christ-centered church with biblically-based teaching, focused on the Jewish roots of the faith, and committed to helping each person discover and use their spiritual gifts. If you're in the area, we would love for you to come and visit. You can find out more information about our church at newhopechapel.org. Subscribe to the New Hope Chapel podcast on iTunes, and you'll get the next podcast in your sleep.
ਮਿਲਣਾ ਚਾਹੀਦਾ ਹੈ